Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I am Michelle Beck and I am your host today. We're so excited that you're here. I am a two-time 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient program's assistant and when I have time, you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink and also at We Rise by Lifting Each Other because I am also starting my own podcast. So please subscribe. I would appreciate that. But today I am so thrilled to welcome my guest. She is a pink sister diagnosed too young for breast cancer at age 30. So Leah Cohn, she is so many things. She's a mama, an author, a teacher, a survivor, and she's just a badass sister. And I finished reading her book this weekend, and we are so many things that are connected. And this book right here, Big Old Lemonades, Diagnose oh, Breast Cancer at 30, available on Amazon. Go get it. Um, it's such a great read. If you are just being diagnosed or know someone who was just diagnosed, please go out and get this for them because it shows the humor and the tears and all of the things in between that go with a breast cancer diagnosis. So. She is a survivor, which I mentioned, which is a full-time job in itself. She's also a high school special ed teacher in Orange County, California. God bless you, Leah, for that. She and her husband raise a fiercely independent and chatty daughter. And her amazing husband, Chris, who you'll read about in the book, was her cancer caregiver and her rock. While this is not all going on, Leah is an advocate for women who have gone through a diagnosis and she wants to help others with their decisions and options and know what is out there because it is so challenging when you're diagnosed, your head explodes and you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on. And Leah wrote this book because when she was diagnosed, she kind of felt lost and there wasn't a book for her. So that's why she wrote Big Old Lemonades. So Leah, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Michelle, so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for that introduction. Oh, my goodness. You said it way better than I ever would have said it about myself. So thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, before we jump into it, is there anything that I missed that you would like to share about yourself, the non-cancer part? You know, no, I feel like uh, the most wonderful thing that I do every day is be a mom. Um, my three-year-old daughter is just the joy of my life. And, you know, really just my post-cancer gift. You you never know when you get cancer at 30 if you're going to even be able to have kids. Um, and so she is my absolute joy. I love what I do as a teacher. Um, I run a small business coaching on the side because oh, I just I forgot that. I'm sorry. So yes. Oh, no, no worries. <laughs> um, I, I run a small business coaching other women because I just enjoy it so much. Um, and it brings kind of a whole different, it's a whole different thing to go to school and work with high schoolers all day and then come home and talk to women and connect in that way. So um, it kind of gives me the best of both worlds. And when I'm not doing, you know, when I'm not at school or um, working on the book or something, I am reading. I do love to read. Um, and also I love to work out. That's my hobby, but I love to ride scooters with my daughter. She got me back into scootering. <laughs> And I, so that's just some of the things we like to do. I wish the love of working out was transferable because, man, like, I know I need to do it. And I'm struggling with some back injuries right now. But when I do it, I enjoy it. But, man, I have a hard time getting motivated. 
Yeah, you know, the love of it is not transferable, but I will say that oftentimes, you know, when you're battling something like an injury or things like that, it's it's not usually, no one ever comes to me and says, oh my gosh, I created a love of working out. You know, what they say to me is, you know what, I just started and then I felt good. So I just decided to quit quitting. And I think that's just, you know, it's that first one. It's always the first one. It definitely is. I mean, I have a Peloton behind me here and I yeah. love it, but yeah. I've fractured a vertebrae last year and I re-injured it recently. And yeah. so I stare at it longingly and I get on for like five minutes just to move my body. But yeah. God, I really want to get back on it. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to do some talk on the side about motivation and accountability because that's really one thing that you as a coach can really help with. And um, we'll we'll give all your shout outs later on so our listeners can find you if they're interested. So, okay, but give you. me the, I know the whole book is about it, but give me the cliff notes of your cancer treat, diagnosis and treatment, please. Yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed with, when I was 30, it was 2016. I had just started a brand new teaching job um, and had to walk in there and tell them, hey, I just was diagnosed with cancer this weekend. Um, I was diagnosed stage one, but they kind of left an asterisk on it and told me, you know, until we get in there, we're not going to put a final, a, you know, I don't know, name to this, I guess. They wanted to get in there first surgically and see exactly what they were working with, but they anticipated stage one. It was invasive ductal carcinoma and it was multifocal, but all on the right side. I did have a lump on the left side, but that one turned out to just be benign. And I had had a lump when I was 21 that I had had removed on that right side that was not cancerous. And so, you know, they kind of always told me, gosh, maybe these two things were related. We'll never know. Um, and so I, I kind of, in the way that I do everything, I jumped into the diagnosis head first and I just, I, I basically cut the doctor off on the phone when he called to tell me the results and said, okay, what do we do? Like, what should I drive to your office right now? Do we start today? What do we do? Yeah. Can, um, can I book my surgery today and get, and take yeah. the breasts off? Okay. Thanks. Yes, I'll see I, you tomorrow. I'll see you later today. I'm ready. <laughs> yep. I'm ready. Like it was a Friday afternoon and he's like, Leah, everything is closed. You can't come here. Um, so, you know, I dove in head first and, um, decided double mastectomy pretty quickly before anyone would really maybe sort of accept <laughs> what I was hoping to do, um, because of my grandma's experience with breast cancer. Um, my grandma had already passed away when I was diagnosed, but I knew that she had been a survivor also, and, you know, had spent years just kind of on the couch with her hearing about her own experience with breast cancer and almost instantly knew I was going to have double mastectomy with reconstruction, regardless of whatever else they told me. And we just went from there. And, you know, it's this is another thing that we share. And I think we talked about this before. My grandmother passed from metastatic breast cancer. She went through it three times, uh, one breast and then another breast. And then it was in the rest of her body. And I had always said that as well, that if it ever happens to me, I'm just going to have a double mastectomy and move forward. Yeah. Fast forward, I was diagnosed four years after she passed. Um, but at the time, my son was a year and a half. Mm. And I was also stage one, slow, slow, low grade, slow moving, no lymph node involvement. And I really, I reconsidered what my choices were because at the time I, I had waited a long time to be a mom. I was 39 when I had my son and I was so enjoying that precious, the cuddle time and the 
the being active with him and down on the floor. And so I chose a lumpectomy and radiation. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, should have stuck with my original decision because I had a new <laughs> occurrence on my other breast four years later. At the time, it was right for me. But I, it, it just really goes to show you have to figure out what is right for you. And that is what you did. And as reading the book, you became such a huge advocate I mean, you switch doctors because some of them were like, well, this is going to be the." And you're like, no, this is not what I'm going to do. And that's such a strong theme throughout your book is self-advocacy, which, you know, you also say that you're too much and you're a lot. But that is the perfect advocate because you're like, I am going to stand up for myself. And even with no matter what my family thinks or my spouse or my brother, I am doing what I know is right for me. And that's yes. one thing that I loved so much from your book. Now, why did you, and I kind of mentioned, but what really brought you into the actual writing of the book? Because you're obviously very busy. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, you know, the book started as journals that I was keeping for myself while I was going through the diagnosis. I started journaling just as a kind of release of my own emotions. I had always loved to write things down. I had journaled at other points in my life. And so I started a Google Doc because, you know, teacher. So I opened up a Google Doc, right? And I just started writing my thoughts down. And, you know, most of it was super angry and super frustrated because I'm like going, I'm 30. I just finally got the job that I want teaching at a high school. And now this is going to ruin my life. Like, I, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not letting this ruin my life. And I started writing things down as a journal. And as some time passed and for the year that I was on tamoxifen, I would write down some things, um, you know, mostly frustration the year that I was on tamoxifen. Um, which and- which in the book, Leah calls Satan's pill, by the way, which I, I, I yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, and so, you know, then a couple years passed, I was feeling better. I kind of revisited the, the journals and thought, you know, I'm going to kind of turn this into something we can put on the family shelf. My grandma kept, oh my gosh, so many notes for us about her life, what it was like to grow up in Nebraska on a farm. We have all this stuff from grandma that she wrote down on a shelf. And I thought, I'm going to add to that. I'll put this story up there. The family will have it. You know, those are the only people that I ever read it. And then for my brother's wedding, um, my sister-in-law had another woman in her wedding with me who is an editor. She does freelance editing. And so we were kind of talking about this. Turns out Tiffany's mom had had breast cancer. And Tiffany said, you know, Leah, if you ever want to do anything with this, please let me know. I would want to work on this with you. And I said, oh, gosh, you know, I hadn't I don't know. I had never taken it more seriously than that. And here we are together. So I called her up and we spent some time just talking through it. I was pregnant, kind of, you know, coming out of the pregnancy. Kind of pregnant? Kind of pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and so I had the baby and I thought, I don't know, I I have like so much going on, but I just couldn't get it out of my head that if I could write this story down in a way that would help even one more woman who is diagnosed or even just someone who knows someone who is diagnosed or a husband who's trying to help his wife who's diagnosed or something, that would be worth my time and effort. And we went from there and now here we are. We published last November and I'm working on the audio book right now. I love that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of do the same thing. I've written for years over my journey and um, I am actually leaving my position at Breast Friends at the end of February because I need to get my book out. 
And I love Breast Friends so much and the wonderful work they do, but I don't have the time because as as you know, you did years at four in the morning. I cannot do four in the morning writing. I'm a midday person like that's So I am taking the time for myself later this year and finishing my book. And it's going to be, I never liked pink and everything else I learned from cancer. Not a memoir kind of straight through like yours, but more like the different lessons about control and fear and finding your finish and so many amazing things. But anyway, enough about me. Let's get back to you. So we are early recording this. And I know something from reading your book that on Wednesdays, we wear pink. We are recording this on a Wednesday. And it's also the first of the month where many organizations, including one that Breast Friends just partnered with, Know Your Lemons, is feel it on the first. Check your breast because you never know. And the majority of women, my friends, even though I've been through this twice, they don't do self-checks. Right. How is, and I know this is something that you now preach about and you really practice. So tell me what that means to you. Yeah. So self-exam to me is the difference between life and death. Um, I found my own cancer through a self-exam. So when I had had that lump removed when I was 21, that doctor, Dr. John West, um, he's been in Orange County for a long time. He has a lot of published works. And actually, he worked on the 40, not 50 project and was heavily involved in that. So for any of our listeners who have ever heard about that, uh, Mm -hmm. you can look it up on Instagram, too. Um, He worked heavily on that. And he was very specific with me. He said, Leah, you have to do self-breast exam for the rest of your life. Um, he said it was you, your lump at 21 was not cancerous, but I'll tell you what, it was kind of a sign that something is coming. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, you need to do this every month. He taught me how to do it. And I have done it religiously since I was 21 and had that lump removed. And so when I was diagnosed in 2016, I had found a lump earlier in the year and I had kind of been tracking it. Uh, I was super busy. Like you said, I was leaving one teaching job, heading into a summer without knowing what my next teaching job would be, because that was the way of the market in teaching at the time and kind of going into the summer blindly. And I said, "Okay, well, you need to find a job first. And so I had put it on the back burner for a little while actually. And then all of a sudden that July, something clicked in my head. You know, God was like, Leah, you need to go get this checked. Like you found it two months ago, go get it checked. And I did. And, uh, the first doctor actually kind of poo pooed me. And she said, you know, Leah, you're 30. You don't need to go get a mammogram. It's nothing. We'll just keep track of it. And I didn't listen to her. I went back and saw her nurse practitioner. So same office. I called them the next day (laughs) and uh, I kind of made up a story, actually. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, and I just said, hey, gosh, is the nurse practitioner there today? I really I don't even remember what I told him, to be honest. I'm not sure what I lied about. But um, they got me and they were like, yeah, she has an opening. Come in today. Come see her. And I told her about the lump. She was a breast cancer survivor. She was like, you're going right away. Can you go today? Can you get the mammogram now? You're going. And so she ordered everything. They couldn't see me that day. I think it was a couple of days later when I finally got in there and the rest is history. So to me, you know, what if I had listened to that first doctor and just kept doing self-exam and tracking it? It could have been much worse by the time I was diagnosed because my diagnosis ended up staying stage one. After surgery, the double mastectomy, everything, they kept it at stage one, but it was multifocal and it was right on the edge of being five, uh, five centimeters, which is where they would have automatically graded up. Yeah. And, and so- that's, Larger than I've normally heard for stage one. For, to me, yeah. I've always heard stage two starts at two centimeters. Um, so, but yeah. 
it it brings me to actually some of the themes that are running through your book. Like you are exactly where you are supposed to be and your faith is big and we will talk about that, but you are in the places, whether it's through your own advocacy or by fate to be in that place, to, to have these things happen and to move forward. What, so we talked about the advocacy and and being in the right place. What other big themes do you feel run through the book that are important for other women to to see? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think let's revisit for a second that fact that you are exactly where you are supposed to be. Sometimes we have such a hard time accepting when things don't go the way that we want them to. But I, you know, Michelle, actually, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and you said on there to your guests that if cancer had not happened to you the way that it had happened, you would not be here doing what exactly. you're doing. Yep. And so for you, it was all worth it, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe we would go back and say, yeah, of course, if I didn't have to have cancer, that would have been easier, um, but I wouldn't be where I am. And so I talk, I, I try to talk about that a lot in the book, because I really do feel like if I, if this had never happened, of course, I never would have written a book about it. But I also would not have created these amazing connections with other women because some of my most meaningful friendships are long distance like this, people I've never met in the real world, but we are so connected by those things that have happened to us. Um, I also talk a lot in the book about being intentional and taking the win where you can take it. Um, you know, it's kind it's kind of silly, but early in the book, I talk about going to the first MRI after the mammogram and ultrasound that diagnosed me. The next step was to go to an MRI so the doctors could really see everything. And I got all dressed up for this MRI. <laughs> this really cute dress. I put on all my makeup. I did my hair, even though you know you're gonna lay down in this MRI machine and it's all gonna get destroyed anyways, because that silly little thing doing it intentionally made me feel like I had some control of something that was going on. I can't control what this MRI is going to tell the doctor, but I can control how I feel about myself today. And I feel great when I wear a cute dress and I do my makeup and I'm going to go in there with a better attitude to receive whatever the doctor has to tell me. And so I'm going to take the win. I'm, I'm going to control what I can control today, even if the rest is out of my hands. I love that. That is so perfect because it's like you said, you were kind of putting on your armor with your makeup and your dress and your hair being done. You're like, I've got this. And there are days. And I mean, I, I, most of the time I work from home, sometimes I go to the office, but there are some days even at home and I'm like all done up. And my husband's like, what do you do when you're not going anywhere? I'm like, I just needed it today. I needed that self-confidence boost. And, and he's like, well, you're beautiful no matter what you look like. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. But you know, <laughs> There's some, some days I just need that extra pull. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's so good. It's true. It's, it's such a confidence boost. You know, it's interesting. Reese Witherspoon just posted something on Instagram like a week and a half ago about people asking her, Reese, how do you have so much confidence? And she said, you guys, it's not that I have confidence. It's that I tell myself I can do it. And then I get confidence by going and doing it. You know, the confidence doesn't Mm -hmm. come first. Sometimes we just have to go do things and that's how we build the confidence. And that's was kind of an approach that I had to cancer in a way was just, you know, I I can't really be confident about this. I don't know what's going to happen. But I can I can make myself feel better about the trajectory that we're on. And so I took that opportunity. That is amazing because I think the unknown is one of the hardest parts of cancer. I mean, yes, you can read about it. You can listen to friends and they tell stories. And so many of them tell awful stories like, oh, yeah, my friend had cancer and she died. I'm like, thank yeah. you. I did not <laughs> need to hear that. Yes. 
It's always a horror story. You know, I, it's unfortunate, but I think that's what we remember often, you know, is the horror stories and we frequently forget about the heroes. Um, and so hopefully what we can do is kind of turn that narrative around. I mean, you're a hero and we're sitting right here together. You've done this a couple of times now and you always come out with something to help other women with. And I just think if we can walk away with that instead of the horror stories, we'll be in good shape. Exactly. Which is why I'm going to go review your book online because so many people just do negative things. We need to focus on more of the positive that's out there in the world. And while your book does talk about the highs and the lows, it really ends on a high note. And I'm so glad that we found each other. So you're here today so I can share you with the world. Yeah. Um, (laughs) One of the things you talked about earlier and I read about is Satan's pill. So for those of you who um, you're mostly cancer survivors and thrivers, and you've heard of tamoxifen. So it is the medication they give you for hormone positive cancer, premenopausal after treatment to keep the cancer at bay. Mm-hmm. Some people do okay on tamoxifen. I did okay. I, I was on it for four years and then I got a new diagnosis. So while my side effects weren't bad, it didn't work for me. Um, yeah. But Leah had an experience where literally it made her a raging, um, psychotic, depressive, um, very unlike the human that she is now. So tell us a little bit about that journey for you and why you just said, I'm done. Yeah. So listen, if you're on tamoxifen right now, I applaud you um, and your decision to do something proactive. Um, Tamoxifen for me, I was on it for a year grand total and I tracked the days in a note on my phone, like tallies on a prison wall (laughs) for that year. Um, Because for me, tamoxifen hit me hard and fast. And it was all very emotional um, for me in terms of side effects. I had the hot flashes. You know, I woke up 500 times a night to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I had all of that, that kind of like false menopause symptoms. Mm -hmm. But the emotional hit for me was the the problem, so to speak. Um, I would just go up and down. And it, it was so deep um, that I would go through these days where it was almost like my best way to describe it is that I was basically manic depressive, but every day, not in months, you know, Mm -hmm. and the depression was very low. I mean, there were points when I was on tamoxifen where I had convinced myself that we would get a divorce that my husband and I hated each other based on nothing, (laughs) you know, no factual information or anything that was happening, but it was just so deeply ingrained in my psyche once I started taking that pill. And there was was this voice in the back, like the real me was in the back of my head screaming, Leah, like this is not who you are. And these thoughts are not real, but she couldn't get out of there and talk when I was on tamoxifen. Everything that came out of my mouth was so negative And I knew I was not myself. And I'd go see my oncologist and there was kind of two oncologists during this time. The one that I ended up deciding not to work with anymore. And one that I kind of went back to after I decided to quit tamoxifen. So during this transitional period, when I was deciding to quit tamoxifen, you know, my husband kind of said to me, Leah, I I'm so glad you took it for a year. And if you stay on it, I would feel good about that because I feel like you're doing something to potentially combat a recurrence. But if you quit, I'll be okay with that. And that would be fine with me too. You do so much else to take care of yourself. Right. That's okay. So I knew I had Chris's support and um, that's kind of why I ended up changing oncologists. The oncologist I was with at the beginning who started me on the tamoxifen, she was very textbook. You know, she really wanted to make sure that I did this. And I, 
I talked myself into believing her that it was worth it. And I don't want to say it wasn't worth it. I mean, here we are more than six years and I'm still cancer free. Um, but it wasn't worth the emotional impact on me. And when I went and saw the second oncologist that I'm still with today and talked to him about it, he said, Leah, if you know, you don't seem like you're that depressed to me right now today. But if you know that you are, you're probably right. <laughs> and if that's affecting your life too much for you to function, then we need to make a decision about your quality of life. And so as your doctor, I'm going to tell you that you should take the tamoxifen. But as a human person, if you can't take this, that's okay. You make a decision that you can live with. And, you know, Michelle, you said this already, but it bears repeating there's really no right decisions when we're going through a diagnosis, when we're deciding what medication we're going to do or what treatment we're going to do. You you got to pick what you can live with because you have mm-hmm. to live with yourself. Yep. And I feel like the goal of all of this is to live, right? Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to live after cancer depressed all the time. Like that wasn't living for me. And so we, we made the decision. I quit tamoxifen on the year, the exact one year date mark, October 17th. Um, and I've never gone back on it and I couldn't be happier. (laughs) And that also led to you being able to become a mom, which is fabulous. But I wanted to share my little antidote. And if you're a listener, you already know this. I did after my second treatment, I did five years of the aromatase inhibitors Mm. and I didn't have emotional side effects, but the physical side effects for me were debilitating and cumulative. The massive joint pain. Uh, I now have arthritis in multiple parts of my body. The the weight gain, the hot flashes, the the vaginal atrophy and dryness. There's, I mean, and the insomnia. So many things were bound up in these side effects. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten to the point where literally I live in a two-story house. I was pulling myself up the stairs. I would yeah. make noises all the time because I was in pain. And I and since I had been through it twice, I'm like, God, I really need to be on this medication. But um, a I saw an ad on Instagram for a test called the Breast Cancer Index Test, which yeah. allowed me to quote unquote, hashtag find my finish. And yeah. they go back, they test your tumor. And for me, my recurrence rate at this point was 2.9%. Taking it, yes, I would have benefited from additional five years, but it would have only brought me down to like 1.8%. Right. And my doctors are like, yeah, for quality of life, perfectly reasonable for you to quit. And so I did the same thing. And I am so much happier. It's like life is like back to my life again. Yes. It's that not, it's so not good. ruled by the cancer meds. Like I can actually exercise. I can hike. I can do all of these things. I'm sleeping better. Other things work better. And right. it's, it's all like, God, it just, yeah. the cancer meds are good for what they do, but the yeah. potential fi- side effects, you really have to evaluate what works for you. Absolutely. Yes. I'm so glad that you're at this point that you're at now too. Congratulations. I know me too. Um, So let's jump into Kirsten, right? Yeah, Kirsten. So, and for those of you who don't know, it, you should not, you, it's possible, but do not get pregnant while on tamoxifen because it can cause birth defects and various other things. And Leah yes. had been told to take this for 10 years. She was 30. Her life was good. She wanted to be a mom. And then cancer comes in and says, ha, 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 hold my beer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but being able to change and go off the tamoxifen and what you once you get it out of your body you can get pregnant now many women after cancer use fertility treatments did you go through any of that so i chose not to do fertility treatments you know um- 
perhaps as if Chris and I were totally attuned to each other. Um, we had one conversation one day with one doctor that I continued to work with about fertility. And there was an earlier conversation with a doctor I decided not to work with. But the one I stayed with, we just kind of both at the same time said to her, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that. If it turns out after whatever happens with my cancer, I can't have kids, we'll adopt. And we said it almost at exactly the same time <laughs> without ever have having a conversation about it before. So um, we just decided, you know what, I, I was already early in my cancer treatment before the double mastectomy and anything, so tired of being poked and prodded and naked on a table. Um, that I just said, I don't, I don't want to go through that too. I don't want to do it. And I, I think just the person that I am thinking about, gosh, my eggs are frozen somewhere. Like I would just think about that all the time because of the kind of person I am. And that would bother me. And, you know, I know that's not true for everyone, but I knew myself well enough to know that that, that would weigh heavily on me. And so we just decided we weren't going to do it. And if it turned out that we couldn't have kids, then we would make another decision about what we were going to do about that. But we just didn't do it. I went on the tamoxifen. And um, yes, that's why part of the reason, uh, you know, I wanted to quit. I knew I felt bad. I wanted to be a mom. You should not get pregnant while you're on tamoxifen. And I was not going to wait 10 years to try to have kids and then see if, you know, one of the things about being 30 and on tamoxifen was it can actually force you into real menopause also mm -hmm. if you're on it for a very long time. Yep. And so the doctors kept telling me, well, because you are so young, hopefully your body would know what to do. And that just sounded like a lot of rolling the dice to me um, on something I really knew I wanted to do for a drug that I really didn't want to be on anymore. So um, we quit tamoxifen. I spent several months detoxing. So that was the directions, right? Spent several months detoxing. And, you know, perhaps being in special education, I was not trying to invite more fate into my life. I wanted to be sure that my body was clean of tamoxifen and totally ready to have a healthy baby. Um, and so that's what we did. About nine months after I quit tamoxifen, um, we got pregnant, which the doctor said was really fast. So that was a blessing also. Um, and my periods never, if you're listening out there and you're thinking about this too, you're on tamoxifen right now, or if you were and you're trying to get off of it. Um, my doctor said that was really fast, but you know what? I never had normal periods after I quit tamoxifen. It was all, one period would be 37 days. The next one was 18. I mean, it was all over the place. I never evened out and I still got pregnant and had a healthy pregnancy to term. So if you, if that's something you're worrying about, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you that it's worth it. <laughs> I can tell you that, um, if that's something you really want to do that a lot of us come off of tamoxifen and are able to have kids naturally. I think it's just one of those things that we sort of get all this fear put into us about what could happen. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of women out there, you guys, who have been on tamoxifen, quit, detox correctly, and go on to have kids, whether it's with fertility or without. So I hope that that gives you some hope if you're one of the people in that position. And thank you for sharing all of that, because I think the success stories like yours are really important. And last year, uh, I did an episode on fertility after cancer. I can't remember the date and time, but it's there. So look for it. And I spoke with an amazing um, fertility specialist and we talked all about statistics and odds and things you should do. Um, so congratulations. And it's wonderful to hear stories like that. And, and as you said, like being a mom for me, it's the most important job journey I've ever had. Yeah. Um, my son asked me recently, he's like, do you love me more than you love dad? I'm like, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, you, you, you actually came out of my body. So there's a, a whole different thing. Um, he goes, so are we even, I'm like, yeah, just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's the best explanation. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, before your cancer diagnosis, what was your health like? And had you, you had just started recently on your coaching journey. Is that correct? Yeah. So in 2015, the year before I was diagnosed, I went to my annual checkup with my primary care doctor. And, you know, she basically said, Leah, you're healthy, but you're overweight. And all I heard in my head, I talk about this in the book, all I heard in my head was like, fat girl, lose weight. <laughs> and I, that was how I processed that information. And I remember going home and thinking like, geez, I know I'm kind of out of shape, but I didn't think I was, you know, fat. And she's calling me overweight on this chart that she's showing me. Those charts are just <gasps> ridiculous. They should yeah. be in my chart should all be burned. Yes. <laughs> Agree. Um, and so I went home and I said, okay, well, you know, and, and her point really was you're going to be 30 next year. You should do something about it before you turn 30. Diabetes runs in our family. Like you should do something about that. Um, so I went home and I called a friend um, who I knew was doing some online coaching thing. She was posting her workouts. She had lost weight. We went to college together. We were roommates for a while. And secretly, I had been stalking her online for a while, watching her <laughs> do this, you know, as one does. And so I called her and I was like, Lauren, listen, like I need help. My doctor says I'm overweight. I need to do something. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, I'm sure I eat too much and I don't exercise and I need to do something. What do I do? And she was like, well, why don't you join me? And the rest is history. I joined her team. Um, we're body now, but beach body at the time mm -hmm. I joined her team. And really for me, I kind of started expecting to fail. I was like, there's no way this is going to work for me. There's no way taking a nutritional supplement every day and working out every day is ever going to happen. I'm never going to stick to it. I said all these negative things to myself, but perhaps fortuitously, I was just starting my master's program from 2015 into 2016. And, um, the beginning of our master's program in education required us to do some personal development. Mm -hmm. And that's when I read the seven habits of highly effective people and the compound effect. Mm -hmm. And I read those two books and I said, Leah, you said you were going to do this, go do it. And I did. I did it <laughs> perfectly start to finish the first 21 days. Um, and I lost I, I've also done the 21 day fix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think I lost nine pounds that first time I did 21 day fix and it was so good. I was like, you know what? I would be foolish to stop now. And so I've just never stopped. I, I said this earlier and I, again, I think it's important. Like once you start something, that's the hard part. C continuing to go is not actually the hard part. I don't think once we get going and you feel so good, you, you don't stop things that make you so happy and healthy and make you feel good if you don't have to. The only times I've really stopped exercising or taking really extra good care of myself was when I had the double mastectomy, right? Those were the requirements. <laughs> and when I had a C-section with my daughter, she was breech, of course. So she had to be C-section. And um, that was a whole separate issue. Um, having a C-section after having double mastectomy just brought up so much you know, medical trauma for me. That PTSD. was a different yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and geez, I mean, the C-section for me was worse in some ways because you're awake for the whole thing, you know, but at so, least you come uh, out of it with a beautiful baby. You do. Yeah. There's a prize at the end. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of daily routines do you have now because of what you had started before your diagnosis? 
Yeah. So I ended up losing 25 pounds before I got diagnosed. I had about nine months from when I started until I was diagnosed and just using beach body programs and products. I lost 25 pounds. I was doing great. I was in the best shape of my life when I got diagnosed. So now, you know, about six and a half years later, my routine with a kid in the house, um, I do get up super early. You said it earlier. I'm a 4am riser because I discovered kind of through this process of creating a routine, I do good things in the morning. That's when I get up to go to the bathroom and go back to bed. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, uh, maybe to credit tamoxifen because I got up so much at night, (laughs) I got used to waking up at 4am and not being able to fall back asleep. Um, But I I get up really early in the morning because I just do good work in the morning and I don't work work. I do work for myself. Um, I get up, I read the Bible every day for 10 minutes. I kind of make my oatmeal or, you know, whatever I'm having, but I've been been on an oatmeal kick lately. Um, so I'll have something for breakfast before I work out. Um, I'll drink my energize, get my workout in. And usually that's about the time my family's waking up. I'm probably in the garage working out when they wake up. Um, and I do some, if I have some time to read, you know, something else for myself, I'll get on my mixed bike and read for 10 minutes and just do like a 10 minute warm up or cool down and get some reading in there. I listen to a lot of audiobooks in the car, but it's not the same <laughs> as picking up that physical book. Um, and then throughout the day at school, you know, perhaps the blessing of being a teacher is I don't have time to leave campus. So I take my food with me every day so that I just stick to my healthy food that makes me feel good. And I, People always ask me, oh, you must be so rigid. I'm not. I bought Girl Scout cookies at school yesterday, and I think I ate like a whole row of them the first day that they were in my classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm super restrictive or anything. I enjoy my life. Like, again, that's why I decided to live through cancer so that I could enjoy my life. Um, and I, so I just make sure that I get in the movement every day. I drink a ton of water and I do something like this every day. Like I talk to another survivor. I talk mm-hmm. to the women on my team um, and build some connections with people because I, I always find that to be one of the most rewarding parts of being a mom and a teacher is when I step outside of those roles for a little while and I just get to talk to other women um, who are like me or that I have some kind of connection to. That for me is invaluable um, to my survivorship. So, and then I come home from school, you know, have some time with my daughter. We do family time in the evening. We eat dinner at the table together, kind of get that time in. She's in preschool. So she has a million things to tell us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, really it's, it sounds simple and it is in some ways, but um, I stick to it because it works. I'm, I'm happy and I feel good and I want to stay that way. Well, also simple also means no drama, which is also good. Yes. Absolutely. And you mentioned one of your parts of your morning routine is prayer. How important was faith in you for you in getting through this journey and still today? Yeah. Um, I, I would not even be here if it was not for my faith. Um, it was kind of the, the moment I was diagnosed and maybe even a couple, probably two days before kind of leading into when I scheduled that original mammogram and ultrasound and the couple of days I had to wait to go get those. Um, to get the diagnosis, I just had this peace pass over me. And I knew it was just God saying, you're fine. Like everything's going to be fine. And I say at some point in the book, I feel like I knew I had cancer before I got the diagnosis. The peace just passed over me and it was just a, you're going to be fine. So whatever you hear at this appointment, it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, and God really just wrapped me uh, in his love and said, listen, you're going to be okay. We're going to do this. But I think it also gave me a really clear head, you know, growing up in faith and having that standing behind me was, 
it, it helped me know what I could and could not do by myself and with God. And it helped me know what I was willing to do, you know, like kind of coming back to the fertility thing. I knew I would sit in my head and worry about that if I did it. So I just didn't put that on myself. You know, I, the doctor said I should do it. And I'm like, well, thanks for telling me, but I'm not going to do that because I knew it would just weigh too heavily on me. Um, and so it really just helped guide me. Um, and now it's really helped me be okay with sharing the story. I don't mm -hmm. think I would have written a book <laughs> if I could have the confidence to say, Hey, this might help someone. And I, I think that's always been a big part of my faith, you know, is how can we help each other in this life? Um, and, you know, see you in heaven. So I love that. Thank you for sharing it. So many of my guests actually have used their faith to get through. And I yeah. think it's important to share. It, it might not be for everyone, but it might pique the interest of some and be like, hey, that might work for me. So, yeah. and that's what I really want to do here is share all of these things. And yeah. one thing that you talked about a lot in the book, which I have not heard of very often, so I'm thrilled that you were able to do it, is the one and done mastectomy to reconstruction. Yes. So when I went through that, literally in 2017 as well, I, that never even got brought up to me as an option. And I didn't even think to research. I trusted my plastic surgeon. But tell me your experience and what you were able to have done. Yeah. So perhaps in the true spirit of being an Enneagram one, um, <laughs> I was going to ask that. I'm, I, am, I am a two. That's where we're a little different. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, first thing I do, right, is I go home and I go, well, there has to be a best way to do this. And I started looking up the ways to do this. Um, and so, you know, through a little online research, and I do want to say here, because I think this is an interesting dichotomy about my approach to cancer. I did a lot of research about the things I wanted to know more about, but I never researched the things I didn't want to affect me. I never researched chemo to make the decision not to have it, even though it was offered to me. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But so the surgery was something, just something went off in my head and it was like, go home and look this up. There's got to be a good way to do this. Um, you know, and I, so I went home, I, I looked at a couple of teams online, I made some phone calls, I'm getting a new job, right? I'm starting a new teaching job. So my insurance is changing. So I'm, I'm making these phone calls and finding out, well, you can go see this team, but it's going to cost you a thousand dollars just for a one hour consultation, you know? And I'm like going, well, I'm a teacher. It's not like I have thousands of dollars coming out of my ears all the time. Right. Is that going to be worth it? So I had to make some weird decisions like that about money and insurance kind of in those initial stages. But I looked up the one and done surgery because I what I had been reading online was that some surgeons were using allografts, which is essentially a skin graft from a cadaver um, that they make a little pocket. So they make a little pocket for your chest and they would slide the implant right into the little pocket. And then that whole thing just gets installed in your chest. Yeah, I had to go look up the allograft. I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the first doctor that I spoke to about it, I had read a little online, but I really needed him to explain it to me. Um, and he ended up being the plastic surgeon that I worked with. But um, so they don't have to cut your chest wall to do this. It doesn't go under the chest muscle because they make that little pocket out of the allograft. It just sits like in your chest wall and they sew it in there and it holds the implant in there for you. And so I'm reading this. And now as someone who had spent the last nine months, you know, uh, getting in the best shape of my life, working out consistently, starting my beach body business, helping other women. And I'm going, don't cut into my chest wall. Like <laughs> that mm -hmm. sounds like it's going to take a long time to heal from. 
Um, and then, you know, the further I got into reading about having the implants with expanders under the chest muscle, I'm reading about that and I'm like, gosh, that sounds like it hurts, you know? Um, and when I finally did get to see these doctors, I had to wait about a month to see a team for my insurance to switch over to see a team that was using these allografts and doing the one and done surgery. Um, and he said to me, you know, it's not common practice yet. I don't want you to think that this is what everyone is doing. It's not what everyone is doing. It's new. Um, he was actually in the process of kind of fighting the FDA and some other authorities that kind of control our cancer lives sometimes about what would pass on insurance and what he could do with those allografts. He actually had to do a lot of work to push that through. And so I was one of the people that got to do it while he was working on that process. And I'm so glad I found it because I think for me, I, since I didn't have chemo and I didn't have radiation, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes that affects whether yep. you can have a one and done surgery or not. You're, you're going to need the implants changed out because the radiation destroys them. You know, there's a lot of factors going on, but because I didn't mm -hmm. need chemo and radiation, I could have one surgery and have the implants installed right away and not have to go back for follow-ups. And that's exactly how it happened. Um, the team that I found at UCI did such an amazing job. I've never had to go back for revisions. Um, and some of that is blessings. You know, I know sometimes mm -hmm. surgery goes great. And then six months later, something goes wrong, you know. Um, but I I went looking for that. I found it. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was looking for. <laughs> I was but, just looking for what, the best way, you know. But one and, and done sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and it was it was grueling. It was a seven hour surgery. Mm -hmm. um, I had a mastectomy surgeon and the plastic surgeon did the reconstruction. So they were two separate people working together. Um, you know, I found that team at UCI and uh, the rest is history. So here we are. Yeah, I and now I realize why I couldn't do that. Um, I had been radiated previously on my left side. So I have uh, I had a latissimus back flap different than a deep okay. flap, which you talk about in the book. Yes. And, you know, they did. It's my implants are under my chest wall and I had expanders and, and that process was not fun. But I've been very fortunate that I have not had any issues. Um, yeah. Can I plank as well as I used to? No. But, <laughs> you know, after I got off the meds last year, my husband and I took up kayaking and like I can actually move my body again. It took a while and lots of physical therapy, but I'm, I'm in a good place. So it's, it's figuring right. out, like you said, what works for you. Yes. Um, yeah. gosh. And before I forget, I don't, I, there's one quote that I really wanted to read in the book and cause literally we have so many other things to talk about and not a lot of time, but okay. one of my favorite quotes from the book is it's closer to the end. So the truth is this is a chapter, not a page. I've turned the page a bunch of times since my diagnosis. The chapter simply isn't over yet. The timing isn't right. I desperately want to finish the chapter, set down my book, switch off the lights and go to sleep. It's not time yet. Whatever else needs to come of this simply hasn't come yet. And so the show must go on. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, that is the perfect description of a cancer diagnosis and journey because it, it no matter what it entails whether it's your one and done surgery or my going through it twice my multiple surgeries i also had a hysterectomy and had all the things removed yeah. and the long-term medication it just continues on you're turning the page and turning the page and i i thought that was it was so profound that i i wanted to share that where are you now in the pages of your book yeah so thank you first of all for sharing that i appreciate that and 
Um, here's where we're at now. I actually just, I hadn't shared this on social media cause I didn't know it was going to happen. And I, um, people always tell me I share a lot, but I always share after the fact, like I know what's going on first before I share <laughs> just last week, I went in for a checkup MRI and ultrasound because I was having right side chest pain for the last few <sighs> weeks and didn't find anything, no changes. Everything was clear. So MRI and ultrasound came back clear. I'm going to go back and do a CT scan just as a follow-up. So my doctor Mm -hmm. feels like he sees everything uh, just to be sure. And then he'll, (laughs) and then he said, then I'll kind of just tell you that you're old, you know, and (laughs) that might be why your chest hurts. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and we're kind of thinking I might be looking at a fibromyalgia diagnosis here too. And actually we're thinking that the year of tamoxifen may have been a contributing factor to that. So we might just be looking at something else. But so that's kind of where I'm at now is I, I watch things really closely. I'm watching them like a hawk. I don't want to say cancer is always on my mind because it's truly not anymore. I think at this stage, you get, you get to a point in your survivorship where you genuinely can say, I don't think about cancer every day anymore. Mm -hmm. You, you think about things that you do. There's routines that you have, right? I still check my breasts every day in the mirror and do some kind of actually exam every day. And that's just routine now. And so I don't, I don't think about cancer while I'm doing it. I'm just like, this is what I do every day. You know, Uh, it's like brushing your teeth. So I'm kind of there now. And uh, really, I think just living my life, I got this book out. I think I have some more books in my head. I'm not sure yet, but you said it earlier. I'm so busy and I really want to kind of pump the brakes on some areas of my life right now. I want more time with my daughter. Mm -hmm. We'd love to have a second. Um, And, you know, that'll just be another blessing if I'm able to. I had a miscarriage last year. And so that was kind of another hard hit, you know, but it was last March. It's been almost a year. I think maybe we're ready to think about having number two again and um, just taking things in stride. And so I do think I have some more things I want to write. I don't think I'm done teaching yet, although I can definitely say it's, <laughs> I think I won't be a, a 40 year teacher. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm able to walk into a classroom for 40 years and do this all day, every day. I love my students and I love what I do right now, but I think I will probably at some point kind of progress into some more full-time writing um, and some different mm-hmm. things that kind of speak to this part of my heart. I feel yep. called to step into this role for a while. Um, but I want to build my family a little more first and do some other things before I dive in headlong into something else. I, I can definitely appreciate that. Cause that's where I'm moving in my journey. Now I'm doing, I want to focus my new podcast. We rise by lifting each other. Blatant yeah. shout out, um, focuses on good works, good people and good things. So yeah. talking to people and organizations who help others like nonprofits and like breast friends, but there's so many organizations out there and the writing is calling to my heart right now. Um, and that's, I, I would say if anything, teach while your daughter's through elementary school and then yeah. maybe junior high and high school, like be around more because they need it so much at that time. My son is in his first year of middle school now and my Lord, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I taught middle school for two years. There is a lot going on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, gosh, we are almost out of time. I knew we would never run out of questions and things to talk about. Where did the title come up for a big old lemonades? Oh, yeah. So when I was home recovering from the double mastectomy with reconstruction, my friend Kara sent me a card and it was the cutest card. Um, it's it's probably in a box in my closet here. It had a girl on the front holding two lemons and it said, when life gives you lemons, of course, and then you open it up and she stuck them in her shirt like two boobs <laughs> and it said big, big old lemonades. And um, that just made us laugh so hard when we got that card in the mail. I just always loved it. I kept it up in our we lived in the condo at the time. 
time. I kept it up in the condo on a shelf for the longest time so I could look at it every day. And um, and we just kind of stayed a joke between Chris and I, you know, like, how are the big old lemonades? They're great. Thanks for asking, you know. And so we kind of just never got rid of it. And then when I was trying to name the book, Chris is the creative one. I'm not mm-hmm. the creative one. <laughs> um, he, he kind of circled back to it and he said, well, we always make those jokes from that card you got. Why don't you use it as the title? And I said, yep. That's what we're doing. So here we are. That is perfect. I always joke that life gave me lemons twice and I made margaritas. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, that probably would be better. <laughs> no, but it's the the lemon, the big old lemonades and the cover of your book, um, which with, with them on there is is too perfect. Oh, thank um, you. So tell us where people can find you, find your book, socials, all of those things, please. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, I am super active on my social media. Um, so at Leah Jean Cohn. Uh, so my my name is on the front of the book if you need to spell it l-e-a-h um leah jean cone so i'm on instagram every day uh you can message me there too actually one of my favorite things is to get messages from other women who are if you're diagnosed you're in treatment right now you're a survivor whatever please reach out um i actually genuinely enjoy speaking to women on there i am a true uh elder millennial so like don't call me text me <laughs> message me um i will not answer the phone my mom still leaves me voicemail and i always joke with her like mom i never listen to those you can stop leaving me voicemail. Um, I see you like twice a week anyways. Um, but then I'm also on the account. I made an account for the book. So it's at Big Ol' Lemonade. So that's the book's account. So I share some quotes from the book in there, some different thoughts from the book in there. So if you read the book and you loved it, or you want to check out more of what it's about, that's a great account to go to. And then I made a website also. So leahjeancone.com. Um, is where you can find my website. And the link to the book is right on there. The book is on Amazon right now, paperback, hardcover, and ebook. And I'm working on the audiobook right now. I read it in my own voice. So I hope you guys genuinely love it because there is nothing I hate more than listening to the sound of my own voice. Um, I know I'm not the only one, but it's so funny sometimes as a teacher will get recorded and they'll then I'll have to listen to it later. And I I just have never gotten over that. So <laughs> I'm excited to have read the audiobook in my own voice. My producer is working on it for me right now when we're meeting again this weekend to review some parts of it. So I'd love to have it out in February, but it might be like March 1st um, and that'll be on Audible. And then it should be coming out on Apple also. So I just recently nice. sent in for everything to come out on Apple if that's what you use. Perfect, Leah. Thank you. Yeah. And literally 30 seconds, what would you tell a woman who is newly diagnosed? You're going to be okay. It is going to be okay. I don't know what's going to happen, but you can make decisions and you can be intentional and just keep the hope going. Even when things seem like there is no way that anything could go the way you want it to be intentional, make decisions that you want to live with, bring your people with you and just stay the path. Like if you're going through hell, just keep going. Don't stop there. (laughs) I love you. I love you. You're going to be okay. And I love you. Perfect. Leah, thank you so much for being here. I know that we are going to continue to have a very long friendship now after this because you are my people and I'm going to come down and we're going to go to Disneyland together. Oh, yes. I would love that. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Listeners, again, you can find the book on Amazon, Big Old Lemonades, Breast Cancer at 30. You can go to Leah Jean Cohn for more information and big old lemonades on Instagram. So listeners, again, if you or your loved ones need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs to see what breast friends can do for you. You can donate on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444 to ensure that no one goes through their cancer journey alone.
You can find this show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, all the major podcasts, podcast platforms, and also on the Breast Friends YouTube channel. And please subscribe so you don't miss anything. You can email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. And you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. And we rise by lifting each other. And please also check out my new podcast, We Rise by Lifting Each Other. And we will be back next week. And this is where my podcast name come came from. We rise by lifting each other. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.